All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. We're going to be going through quite a few verses. I'm going to go fairly quickly, so take a pen in, a, in the notes section. Write these verses down if you have trouble finding verses quickly. Because I have a marked because I'm going to go through several different verses if you make the, this message today. So let's open in prayer. Lord, we ask you to bless this time, bless this message, and help us to fully understand who we are and what you expect from us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 7. But which of you, having a servant plowing and feeding or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to eat? And will rather, and not rather say unto him, make ready with, wherewith my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and, and drunk, and afterwards you shall eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that, he, that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise you, when you shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. We're going to look at this because this is something that is misunderstood so much by Christians. So many times Christians think that once we get saved, all we do is sit on our butt and do nothing. That is not what God calls us to do. Now, and here is what he's telling them. He says, you know, just a recap of this. He says, if you have a servant and you get done working, the servant's done working all day long and he comes in from the fields, do you tell him to go, go rest and then take care of me? You go, no, he says, you take care of me and then you take care of your yourself and you know this is something that we need to understand I'm going to go through a lot of verses as we go through to make this point on what God says because we are his servants and he's not going to tell us thank you for doing what we're supposed to be doing now this is one of the things that in our generation you really still have to tell people thank you for doing what they're supposed to do I learned that the hard way when I was working when I first was working I had a real hard time telling people thank you for doing the bare minimum work that they were supposed to do and yet I found out that if you told him thank you, you got a lot more work out of him. But you know, God is saying that he is not going to tell us thank you just because we do what he tells us to do. That's what he expects us to do. He expects us to do what we're told to do. And the problem is, myself included, we don't usually do what God tells us to do. He has to kind of get the switch out and the whip out and say, you're going to go do what I'm telling you to do. Uh, at least he does with me. I'm sure that nobody else is any different than I am in that aspect. But we see this Jesus telling the disciples that at the very end you're to say, I am an unworthy servant. I have done just what is required. None of us can do everything that God would like done. Why? Because he has a greater standard than we do. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is wanting more than we, than we want and can understand. But, you know, first and foremost is the idea that we are his servants. So we're going to go to Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 22. And it says, Servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh, not as men, I servants, but as, as men pleaser, but in all singleness of, of heart, fear God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the God shall re receive the reward of inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So we serve Jesus. 
And that service to Jesus is also supposed to go into our way we work. Now, I have seen, and unfortunately, I've seen Christians that are lazier than any other employee, employee of the store. I had one employee one time, he said he was a Christian. When he left, when he turned in his notice, I, I told him, next time you go to a store, don't tell him you're a Christian. And he goes, why? Because you're the laziest person that's in the job, and you are not an example of what a Christian is. He didn't like it, but it was true. He was lazy. He was lazier than most every employee there, and he should have been the best employee because when we work, we should be out there serving God. You know, and this is something that's very important on it. What is our service to God? How do we serve God? In Titus verse 2.9, it says basically the same thing. It says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, not, not showing all good, and, but showing good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrines of God and the Savior of all things. So we are to serve. We are called to serve. Now, this is not what most people want to hear. It's not what they want to think and see. They don't really like to be told that we are to work. We like to think, well, I got saved. I can do whatever I want because God, God saved me. God is still expecting us. What would he tell the disciples? Go unto all the nations, teaching and making disciples, you know, and baptizing and all of that stuff. And you know, 1 Peter 2.18 tells us the same thing. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, but only, not only in the good and gentle, but also to the forward, for it is a thankworthy that a man of conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrong. And so this is something that we need to understand. God does not promise us that all our life is going to be perfect and good. It would be nice. <laughs> but because of the fall of Adam and Eve, there are consequences to that sin. Grief, trials, tribulations have occurred. Some of it is to help make us grow. You know, we're doing the book of Job, and I love the book of Job because Job is a great example of somebody going along, thinking everything's good, and having the carpet pulled right out from under him. And, and in the first couple, the first two chapters, we get told that God, God allowed it to happen. You know, and when we have something bad happen to our life, what's the first thing that pops into our mind? God, where are you? How could this have happened? God is right in heaven where he's always been and has it planned and knew that it was going to happen and has given permission for it to happen. Now, there are times in my life when I've, got, I've told God, God, could you give a little less permission to Satan for a little while? I understand you've got good plans and this is for my good, but this is, you know, I could use just a little less permission. And I know he's not going to do it, not going to answer my call. He didn't, he didn't when, when Job asked for the same thing. <laughs> you know, uh, so you just go, okay, God, it's in your control. That is why Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses. For all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. No matter what happens in my life, God has a plan. I may not understand it, and oftentimes my prayer is, God, I do not understand how any of this can be good, but you say it's for good. I am going to believe it. This is important for us. Why do I ask us to memorize verses? Why do I want us to know the Bible so that when we get into hard times, we go back to what we know is true and just say, God, I don't understand how it can be true in this situation, but I'm going to hold on to the truth. And this is important because I have met 
and I shared with you all, even though Romans 8.28 is my favorite verse, it has been most of my life, I learned very long time ago not to give that verse to somebody when they're in the middle of a hard time, unless they believed it in the first place, because they go, well, this never be, you know, that can't be good. Well, God said it is, so I'm just going to hold on to what God says, but, you know, what is the purpose of trials? It is to prove, do we believe what God has told us? He will test, do we believe what he said? And the question is, do we really believe it? Do I believe that all things work together for good when my entire life is turned upside down? Do I believe that God has a purpose in me serving him and being his servant when I get tired? And it's easy to get tired, I know. I work two jobs, I know. It is easy to get tired. It is easy to get worn out. It is easy to say, God, I just don't understand any of this. And yet, God is saying we're to serve. Jesus said we're to serve until it's time to rest. When's it time to rest? After the whole day is done. And this is very important for us to understand that that rest is very important. In Exodus 23, Verse 25, and you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your, and your wine, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Service. He says serve. This was to the children of Israel specifically, but they were told to serve him. And what did he say? I'm going to bless your food, I'm going to bless your, your drink, and I'm going to take sickness away from you. And one of the things I have learned over the years is generally... The followers of God are healthier than the non-believers. Non, non Not 100%, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, but you know, it's kind of interesting to watch. Have you ever seen somebody that will tell you that they're 40 or 50 years old and they look like they're about 90? And you find out they're not saved, they're worrying about everything under the sun. And then you talk to some Christian and they go, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm 93. And they go, you're kidding, you look like you're about 60. <laughs> you know, why? Because they're learning to trust God. They're, they're focused on God. And again, it's not 100% of the time, but I have noticed that to be the true in many cases. In Deuteronomy 10.12, it says, the same, it says the same thing, basically. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I have commanded you this day for your good. Why does God ask us to serve? Why does he ask us to be obedient for our good? How many times do we look at the Bible and we go, God, you've got so many rules in there and you just don't want me to have any fun. You don't want me to enjoy life. You want me to do nothing that's, you know, kind of sound like teenagers there, don't we? You, know, you just don't want me to have any fun. You're taking away all the fun. No, I know the consequences for disobedience and doing these things. And God understands the consequences. He knows that if we do the things that we want to do, we're going to have long-term consequences. And there are always consequences to everything that we do, good and bad. Now, we like to call the, the good consequences rewards, and that is a true statement, but it's still a consequence. Do I want good things to happen to me in the future? What do I need to do is so good today. Be obedient to God. Serve God. Love others. Treat others correctly. And God says, you sow good seed, 
your reward is going to be the good that you sowed. You want to have lots of evil in your life? Do lots of bad things. It's real simple. Real simple. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Now, God can step in and, and supernaturally take some of the consequences for evil away, but he usually does not. If you choose to do the wrong thing, most of the time you will suffer. I will suffer for the bad activity that I do. You know, and this is very important for us to understand. We are to love God with all our heart and serve him, keep his commandments, not because it says he wants us to and he's going to be all happy with us, but for our good. Now, does that make a little difference when you look at some of his commands and saying, wow, God, you're just not trying to make me have a bad life. You're trying to say it'll be good for me. You know, those of us who've raised kids, kids and teen, especially teenagers, we're going, if you just had listened, you would have known that you wouldn't have had to gone through all that bad stuff if you had just listened. Now, we're probably not going to say it if we're smart because <laughs> we want them to come back and talk to us again. But, you know, we're thinking, you know, you're headed down the wrong path. And I can see God in heaven. When we start going down the wrong path, he's going, stop, stop, don't go that way. And we're going, ah, I don't hear anything. And walk right off the edge of the cliff, and then he picks us up and brings us back. He loves us that much. He won't, he won't deny us, but there's still going to be consequences. There will still be the pain that is involved and the scars that are involved, both emotional and physical sometimes, for the disobedience of God's word. And this is something that we need to fully understand that it is hard to be obedient to God when our attitude toward that obedience is not right. If we can really understand that my obedience to God is for my good, it makes it easier to be obedient to God. Now, I have to be admitted on this one. I grew up a fairly compliant child, so I was pretty easy to do things the way it was supposed to. Now, I have a, have a brother and had a sister that weren't that compliant. They liked to do things their way. And they were always in trouble. They were always fighting. But you know, they took that into their realm of walking with God. We need to be compliant in the attitude toward God. And if we're not, what do we need to do? We need to ask him to help us be compliant. We need to ask him to help us have more faith, help us have more love, help us have more compliance to him. The only problem is when you ask that prayer, be ready for him to help you. <laughs> And his help doesn't come the way we want to. How is he going to teach us to be compliant? He's going to put us in situations where we have to be compliant. You know, when we ask God, I want to learn how to have more faith, what's he going to do? He's going to put us in places where we have to have a lot of faith. Now, and then we're going, God, uh, this isn't quite the way I wanted to be taught. I expected you just to have some nice guy come into my life and, or, or a woman come into my life and give me some lessons and I would learn. I was talking to somebody, and it would be really nice if we could learn that way. Now, it is really nice to learn by somebody else's mistakes. It is really nice to learn by the book and find out what we should be doing. How many of us actually learn that way? Maybe one or two things we might learn and go, well, I watch that person, I'll never do that. And then we fall off, find ourselves doing just what we said we'd never do. Unfortunately, the school of hard knocks is usually the easiest way to learn things, the easiest way to actually learn it, the hardest way to learn, but the easiest way for us to actually learn it. We keep making a mistake and saying, wow, that, that hurt. I don't want to do that again because the, it was painful to, to suffer. And this is what is going on here. God says the 
obedience is for our good. And if we could just learn to learn from his word and from the teaching, life would be a lot better. And most of us, myself included, don't learn that way. We like to learn the hard way. We have to go, well, you know, and I've heard people go, you know, we can tell people all the time, you know, most of the people who win the lottery regret having won it. They go, well, I'd like to have that chance. I go, no, you wouldn't. You'd be just like everybody else. You know, you'd be just like everybody else regretting that you had gone through it and that you had to, to go through this. Hebrews 12, 28. Wherefore, we receiving the kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptable with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. We are to serve God. Why? And bluntly, because he demands it. You know, it's really what it comes down to. He says we are to serve him. He is the creator. He created us. He gets to tell us what to do. Now, this is a hard thing for people to understand. Well, why would God do such and such? Because he chose to. Why did he let me go through this? Because he chose to. Ultimately, it's for our good. Now, our good may not be till we get to heaven. You know, and there's many times when I've gone through things and God has shown me why I went through it because somebody else got blessed or, or I got blessed. There's times when I have no clue why I went through things. I just know that in heaven, it'll be worth it all. This is what Paul said. He goes, I am persuaded that, that it is going to be good. He goes, the, the light afflictions that I have gone through are nothing compared to the, the glory. Now, we all know kind of, we've talked about this several times. When Paul said light afflictions, what was he talking about? Being stoned, shipwrecked, uh, you know, beaten, beaten several times with uh, 39 stripes, you know. Just, a, just light things, just really easy things to endure. And he goes, they're nothing. These are nothing compared to the reward and glory. What was his focus on? What is coming. What will be coming? Jesus, in the scripture we read, said the servant gets to rest after all the work is done. When is all of our work done? When we die and we get to go to heaven. Then we become the bride of Christ and we get served. We get served by the angels for all of eternity. You know, and this will be a wonderful thing. There's a whole new environment coming. And we need to be able to look at this. We are not at rest here on this earth. Now we do get a, a rest. We have peace. We have joy. But we do not have a rest from work. And I love, because God is in my life, I like the fact that I have a piece of passes understanding according to Philippians. People look at it and go, how can you be so joyful and happy? Now at work they tell me all the time, and I know I'm not happy all the time, but you know, as far as they're concerned, I'm happier than most of them, so that makes me happy all the time. You know, but I do, I have a peace. God is in charge. <clears throat> Even when everything seems to be falling apart, I know that God is still in charge, and that gives me a peace because I'm in, the, I'm in the eye of the storm, and if you know what that means, if you've ever been in a hurricane or a typhoon, you know, it's very interesting if you've ever been hit, been hit dead on by one. You'll have winds going around at about 100 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden they'll stop, and there won't be anything. Now, don't go outside during that period because the storm is still going through, and you're going to get hit when the other half of it comes along because it hits you just as fast too. 
But you know, when we are in Christ, we can be in the eye of a storm knowing that somebody is in charge who knows the beginning from the end. Do you realize that God knows the beginning from the end? Do you realize what that means? When Adam and Eve sinned, God already knew that they were going to sin. It didn't surprise him. Before he created them, he knew they were going to sin. Before he created them, he knew Jesus was going to die on the cross. Before he created Adam and Eve, he knew the day that you were going to accept him as Lord and Savior. Before he created them, he saw you in the new heaven and the new earth. That's mind-boggling to me. He knows the beginning from the end. There is nothing that I can do, that you can do, that God's going to say, oh no, that surprised me. Nothing good, nothing bad. God already knows what you're going to do. Because he is outside of time. He knows the beginning from the end. He's already at rest. Now, he created mankind and he put Jesus on this world to die for our sins, but he, even in all of that, he was at rest. And we can't even fathom what that means. You, you, want, you want to go crazy trying to figure out in you know, infinite time that he encompasses all of, you know, try to, try to wrap your mind around that. You know, try to wrap your mind that he sees the beginning from the end and he's looking down on it. And it's, when he tells the future, it's not telling the future because he's already seen it and knows what's going to happen. You know, I love that our God is that powerful. I love that there is nothing that can happen to me that he does not already know is going to happen and has a plan on how it's going to be for good. And it doesn't matter whether I choose it, cause it, or, or didn't choose or cause it. He still knows what's going to happen. And this is something we have to understand about him. He says our rest is not yet. When is our rest coming? Verse Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and a flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and, will not, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our rest is coming in the future. Our re- Until then... We are expected to put in about 100, 120 years if you lived a long time, 80 years otherwise, 60 years, 30 years, whatever it is. We have a very short time period where we work. Think about that. You're going to work for a very short period of time. Now, I know, because I'm old enough to know that it seems like a long time when, you, when, you, when you're on this world. But once we enter our rest, there will be billions and trillions of years that, you know, you know, multiplied by a trillion years where we're at rest. Where we're not even going to remember all the toil of this world because we are at rest with God. Our day will be done. Until then, he's saying, take care of what I've got for you. Take care of sharing my gospel. Take care of the, the uh, materials I gave you. Use your talents well. Be out there in working for this world. Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, then they would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. 
Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What are we told to do? Labor while it's time to labor. Get the job done. Then we enter into rest. The day that we leave this physical body and get our glorified spiritual body, we will enter into rest. Faith, rest. I just, I'm looking forward to the rest that's coming. There is a day of rest. Until then, I want to serve God. I want to work. God never really made a provision for people to retire and stop working. Now, this is very important for us to understand. Now, I can, I can retire from the workforce. I can retire from earning a living. But I am never to retire from serving God until I reach heaven. Whatever that means. Witnessing, sharing the gospel, uh, doing good, you know, good works that, that are related to him. But we are to serve God. God till the day that we die. God created man to work. And we were just looking at this yesterday in the Truth Project. You know, how many people think of work as a really bad thing? Now, most everybody. Do you realize what was God, Adam and Eve's given? God placed them in the garden to do what? Tend the garden. Now, I don't know how hard work was with no weeds and no, no dying things and no, no, no broken broken things to have to repair, but they were created to work the garden. And what was part of the curse? You're now going to have weeds. Work is now going to be a toil, but you were still created to work and God still expects us to work. Work is no longer that, that much fun unless you happen to get the right job. Now, and I've been very fortunate in my life. I've enjoyed most of the work that I've done in my lifetime. And the thing about it is, and it's been said by many people, if, you find, if you're doing something you love, you never work a day in your life. And I've had that attitude on many of my jobs where it was fun going to work. I enjoyed doing it. It was almost like I get to go play for eight hours and get paid to do it. You know, and that is fun when you get to do that. Now, I understand not all jobs are like that. Now, the prison is not like that for me. I'm not called to go to the prison. The prison is just to make money so I can pay bills. But I do, get to, I do get to minister to prisoners and talk to prisoners and teach prisoners. So I do have a good aspect of it. it, is, it is, it's got its good side. But you know, when I'm at the prison, I, I kind of loathe being at the prison because I'm not here talking to people and teaching and, and going and, and around meeting people. It, it irritates me because it keeps me from doing what I want to do. So what do we do? We serve God. When I'm out at the prison 40 hours a week, I take every opportunity. When they open the door, I take it. Now, I can't crack the door open for them, but you know what? Almost all of them know, number one, that I started out as a chaplain. I get Bible questions all the time. You know, are you a chaplain? Not anymore. Oh, well, maybe you can answer it anyway. <laughs> all right, let me know. And because they open the door, I've got more freedom than I would have as a chaplain. Because I don't have to worry about what they believe and why they believe it, because now they've opened a door and I can talk to them, and I'm not a chaplain. I'm just answering questions. I've had some good, I've had some good discussions. I've had people come up to me, you know, they got, got to know me, and they asked for counseling on certain situations in their life. Now, technically, I'm supposed to re refer them to the, the secular counsel, counselors out there that would give them all the wrong answers, so I won't. <laughs> You know, I don't need them talking about the stuff that they believe. I want them to know God's word. And so we serve. 
Are we ready to serve? Are we standing saying, I am going to serve? Good servants do the job without even being noticed hardly. And this is something that is very important. I worked in the restaurants for many, many years. You know, good waiters and waitresses get the job done without being intrusive to the table. And you can tell the ones that aren't, aren't that good because they're all in the way and, in the, and everybody knows they're there. It's very interesting when somebody's so good, they've got your, your cup refilled before you even notice that it, they were there. They've got the plates cleared off. And you're kind of aware of them, but they're not intrusive. Our service needs to be that efficient. We're looking for ways to serve. Not saying, what little can I do? Our attitude should be, what can I do that really ministers for God? What is the most I can do? Because who are we working for? We're working for God. God sees everything. Now, one of the things that I hated when I was managing is how little people wanted to do. You know, how, and you could watch them. You could watch them pretending to be busy. Walking around with a rag in their hand. I'm going, well, were you going to clean? Oh, yeah, I'm going to clean something. When? I've been watching you for 15 minutes. You haven't, that rag hasn't touched anything but your hand. You know, oh, you got a broom in your hand. Uh, anything been swept? <laughs> are we serving God with that attitude where God's watching us and saying, when are you going to start? Or are we saying, all right, I'm, who, can I, who can I help next? Who can I, who can I take care of next? What can I do next? This is the attitude that we should be having when we're serving God, that we're out there really looking for what can I do for God. Last verse I'm going to look at is in Revelation chapter, 13, uh, chapter 16. Oops, get this right. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which are in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest in, from their labors, and their works do follow them. Our promise is that God is going to give us rest. And not only is he going to give us rest, that the works that we do for him will be there to be rewarded for by him. We spend our life doing things for allowing God to work through us so that we can have the rewards in heaven for those things that we allow him to do. I love God's plan. He says, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to be the one that gives you the power. I'm going to be the one that gets the work, and then I'm going to give you the reward. What do, what do most people want in this day? They'd love to have a job where somebody else does the work and they get paid. That's God's plan for us. We allow him to do the work through us, and then he pays us in heaven for letting him do the work. I love that God has a great plan. I also understand that Satan has a counterfeit for everything that God has. God's plan is that he does the work, we get paid. So what's he trying to do? He tries to get us to do that on earth. It's not the way work is designed on earth. We do the work, we allow it to happen, and he rewards. Our works will follow us. Now, I have said this many times. I have no idea what a work mean, a reward means in heaven. No idea whatsoever. Uh, all I know is from this sinful body that wants to have everything that I can get out of things, I, I want as many rewards as I want, but I have no idea what a reward will mean in heaven. Jesus said that if you want to be 
the master, you have to be the servant. He turns all the world's ways upside down anyway. Maybe our great reward in heaven is that we get to serve people for the rest of heaven. I don't know. I have no idea what a reward means, but you know what? I'm looking forward to whatever reward is in heaven. Whatever it means. You know, because it, we're in heaven by the grace of God. We're not there by our works. We're not doing works to, to please God, to make him like us more. We are doing works to serve him. And when we serve him, he says, your reward will come. Your reward will come. Now, we do get earthly blessings as well. Now, maybe not riches, maybe not wealth, maybe not even prestige in our position, but we do get rewards down here. The greatest reward that I know of is peace, that God is in charge. He has control of my life. He is making me perfect. He is making me have a desire to follow him. And I love being God's servant. Now, I don't always do it correctly, but I love being his servant and ministering to people, helping people. I love to teach. You know, and any of you that meet me even outside of Bible studies, I love answering the questions. I love being able to go through these questions and saying, this is what God says. This is where we need to be. That is what I'm called to do. Some people are called to be physical laborers and get things done. You, I'm not one of those. You don't want me trying to build anything. You don't want me fixing stuff. Because <laughs> it probably won't work when I get done. But when it comes to teaching, you want me there. Uh, if you want something tore apart, I'm good at tearing things apart like almost everybody is. I can tear things apart real easy. <laughs> but I, putting them back together is another story. <laughs> uh, my brother used to be able to take things apart, put them back together, and they worked. I took them apart, put them back together. There were parts left over, and they didn't work. Uh, so basically, I gave up taking things apart. I gave them to him. <laughs> you know, Here, fix this. It's broken. <laughs> so what are we looking at right now? We're looking at on this world... We are to serve God wholeheartedly, fully, full desired, not with complaints and grumbling because we're saying, well, God, you've put way too much on me. I'm doing too much. Serve him with all your heart, with all your strength, and be happy about it. If he's given you jobs, be happy. I understand there are times when you look and say, God, I've got a lot on my plate. Can I get any, you know, and God will say, here, let me see, are you trusting me? Are you trusting me? If you're having trouble with the service to God, change your attitude about it and say, God, I need your strength to get me through this, through this work. It is easy to do what God has given you to do and what he's called you to do. Now, if you're doing something you know, for God and you're, you're having lots and lots of problems with it and you just don't seem to be happy with it, I'm going to challenge you. Talk to God. Say, God, either change my attitude or show me that I'm doing something that I'm not supposed to do. And I can tell you right now, I've actually told people in churches, are you supposed to be doing what you're grumbling about? Well, it needs to be done. I'm going, that's not the question I asked you. Are you the one that's supposed to be filling that job? If you don't usually enjoy what you're serving, then you're not, probably not called to do it. I love teaching. Now, there's days when I'm worn out and tired and it's a tough job. But most of the time, I have nothing I would rather do. Now, my job was to go, you know, uh, pull the weeds all the time. I would be bored and, and not, not happy with it. But to teach, it's another thing altogether. What are you called to do? 
And I've heard many people say, well, it's got to be done. Don't do it because it's got to be done. I have told pastors I can solve a lot of their problems. They'll, they'll complain sometimes, well, we can't get any nursery workers. I can solve it real easy for you. They go, how? Close nursery. You obviously don't need it. If you've got nobody wanting to work it, you don't need it. Well, then the kids will be in the air, and uh, they're crying and yelling and all the time. Well, can't you, yell, can't you talk louder than the kids? You, know, you might have some volunteers all of a sudden show up saying, I want to take these kids out of the, out of the service. And if they don't, they'll put it up with it. You, know, you don't have enough Sunday school workers. Maybe you don't need Sunday school. We're always looking at our church activities and saying, are we doing what needs to be done? Is there people coming out? Is it, are we having people that want to do the work? And if there isn't anybody who wants to do the work, then we probably don't need to be doing it. Because God will supply the workers that we need to get the job done. Now, sometimes we have to open our eyes and see workers that we don't expect to be the workers. But you know, it's very important. Where are we serving God? And I am a firm believer that every single Christian has some place that they are supposed to be serving in. Now, what that place is, I have no idea for most of you. It could be anything. It could be the person who just pulls weeds. It could be the person that's sweeping and mopping the, the church. It could be the person that is passing, you know, truly being a prayer warrior and their prayers are getting answered. What is your call? If you don't know what it is, start talking to God and ask. Talk to somebody who knows you really well and say, what is it that I'm good at? What can I do to help minister to people for, for God? Because we can do all kinds of things out there. There have been a lot of men's ministries that have started up and men saying, well, I'm not a teacher. I don't want to teach Sunday school. I don't want to do nursery. What can I do? Well, let's see. Can you, can you fix cars? Can you fix roofs? There's all kinds of people in the community that need help. What can you do that would be able to step out and help? And I'm not saying that we need to do those things, but I'm just saying, what is it that God has given you the gifts to be able to do? And I can tell you, over the years, I've had more people go, well, the church needs to do such and such. I'm going, okay, good, I'll help you get it started. Well, I don't want to. Well, God told you about it, so you must be the one that is supposed to be taking, taking care of it. You know, I can't do all the stuff that needs to be done. And there's nobody in the church that can do everything that needs to be done. But if we all stepped up and did what God is leading us to do, what could we get done, even with the church our size, if we had 15, 20, 30 people actively finding one thing that they could do to build God's kingdom, what changes would be happening around here? What changes? You know, if everybody just said, this is what God, what I think God wants. And I'll end here with, you know, I used to go to a church where they encouraged people to go out and do this ministry. And this guy, one guy came up and he says, I want to have a Bible study at the airport. And everybody laughed at the guy. You've got to be kidding. You want to do a Bible study at the airport? Well, he went out and had a Bible study at the airport. And he got all kinds of people saved and, and converted and had this big Bible study with the employees and the travelers and was coming back all the time telling us about all these people that were getting saved at his Bible study at the airport. What am I trying to make a point of? I don't care how crazy you think what God is putting on your heart to do. Let's get it started. I have heard crazy things in my lifetime that, that people have done that got, they felt God saying to do. And I'm just crazy enough that I'm willing to try anything. Help getting anything started to see God's kingdom raised up. Because I've said it all along, my job here is, as pastor of Chloride Baptist Church is not to build Chloride Baptist Church, it's to build the kingdom of God. 
So if we're building and helping other churches, that doesn't bother me as long as God's kingdom is built up. Now, I would like to have enough people here to keep the church going, but <laughs> my job is not to build this church. My job is to build the kingdom, and it's God's job to build this church. So we want to keep this in mind. What is God calling you to do in his service? Now, if you're not his child, your job is to get to be his child first and then serve him. So we're going to end here. And again, the challenge is pray about what God's asking you to do. If you don't know what God's asking you to, how God's asking you to serve, pray and ask him, how are you to serve? Because it's important that you're serving wherever it is that he's put you. And it doesn't even have to be in this church. It could be anywhere in the county. I don't care. You know, what is God asking you to do to serve him and build the kingdom? Lord, we ask you to be with us. Lord, we ask that you help us to see who we are in you, what our calling is from you, and how you want us to serve. Lord, we ask that you guide each one of us into that. Help us each to ask you, Lord, what is it you ask, that you want me to do? And then to step out and do it. And Lord, if there's anybody listening online that doesn't know you, we ask today that they will say, God, I am a sinner. I need you. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and his sacrifice on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection. And I ask him to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.